Thank you, Pastor Justin. I tell you, watching that video brings back a lot of good memories. I spent um, many, many years as a youth pastor, and I want you to know that in my uh, experience, and I'm going to tell you, I did a lot of retreats over the years, um, more happens on one of those weekend retreats than what will happen in six, nine, 12 months of, of normal youth ministry. You need to be part of that. If you've got a teenager and they're part of our youth ministry, they need to be at that retreat. Now, I know it's a little costly. I see that $190, and that kind of struck me because I got a couple of those as well. Um, but you know what? Come on, parents. Let's just be honest, okay? We're shelling out money all the time for all kinds of stuff, are we not? I mean, find a, find a, send your kid to a retreat for soccer or lacrosse, or for football for three days, and tell me what the cost is. It's more than $190. I know, because I'm out there doing it too. So take advantage of these opportunities, truly. Um, make sure you know that date. There'll be information. I know Justin will be hitting that over the next couple of weeks and months. But, but you don't want to miss these things, because what happens is, let me tell you what my experience is. Um, those kids are going to come back from retreat, and God's going to work in their heart. And that's an exciting thing. But I always feel bad for the ones that can't go because they miss something. The Lord is going to work in people's hearts. January 25th, 26th, 27th. And I want, it to be, I want it to be a vast number of our teenagers. So be aware of that date. Well, usually about right now, I, I typically share a prayer request for somebody else. Well, today I need to ask you to pray for me. Um, so uh, I really haven't talked too much about this, but tomorrow I'm scheduled for a, for a surgery that I'm not really looking forward to. And um, I've got an intestinal issue that I need to take care of. It's not cancer. Um, but I'm going to be pretty much on my back for about the next three weeks. And so I ask you, church, to pray. Um, I don't suffer well. Um, so you can ask my wife. Um, so pray for me and my family as we go through this challenging time, and um, I won't get to see some of you guys for a few weeks, but, but you'll be in my heart, and I'll be praying, and I know that, that God will use his word. Um, he doesn't need any of us, right? Truth is, he uses whoever is willing. And so I, I trust you're willing, willing to allow the Lord to speak to your heart, and I ask you to really pray for me and my family as we go into this time. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you do, you work in our lives. And Lord, I, I thank you for your grace. You are the healer. Lord, you have done the impossible in us. The most remarkable thing that you ever did was take a sinner like me and like those that are praying along with me and made us your children. Lord, that is the greatest miracle you've ever done. Father, that you changed sinful creatures, and you did it through the cross of Jesus. Father, now as we open up your word and as we go there, Lord, take it and use it in our hearts. God, we need you. We need you to challenge us and to speak to us because the world around us is broken and you've given us the gospel, Lord. You've shared with us the cure for man's ills. Lord, may we be faithful in pointing people to you. This is our heart because you changed it. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know, and you, some of you were here uh, just four or five years ago. I can't remember right now offhand when my mom passed away. And, um, you know, that was a challenging time. And I thank you for your prayer through that. About six months later, though, a neat thing happened. I went out to the mailbox. And in the mailbox was an envelope addressed to me, Lowell McDonald. Return address, Lowell McDonald. No, I didn't mail myself. My father had mailed me something in a large envelope and took it to my house and opened it up and pulled out the contents of the envelope. And you know what it was? It was a letter from my mom. Here she had, before um, my mom had dementia and um, had lost the ability to communicate, but before um, she had lost that totally, she had sat down and written a letter to every one of her children. And here, here I was, six months after she passed, with shaking hands, reading what my mom had to say to me. And it's special. Too special for me to share it with you right now, that's for sure. But it's tucked away in a file cabinet at my house, and occasionally when I'm looking for something or finding a, a paper or whatever, I'll see it and pull it out and, and be reminded of my mom's words. You know, last words are a big deal, are they not? You know, in those kind of moments, you don't fool around with, you know, pick up this item or do this task or, you know, that kind of, you don't fool around with that kind of stuff, right? In last moments, you deal with the things that matter, not the little, small, insignificant things that we fill our lives with so often. Today, I want to start a, a series that we're going to go through the next four or five weeks um, that looks at what we call, it's, this is not in the Bible per se, this title, but the Great Commission. This is the last words of Jesus with his disciples before he ascended to be with the Father. This is it. This is what Jesus needed his followers to know. So if you were going to turn to the Great Commission in your Bible, do you know where you would go? Now that isn't a test question, but maybe it is. Do you know where to find the Great Commission? Now probably most of us would say the Gospel of Matthew, and you'd be right. You can find the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew. And some would say Matthew 28, near the end of the Gospel, and you'd be right. But you're not completely right. In reality, the Great Commission, a form of Jesus' last challenge to his followers, is listed, is, de is described five different times in your Bible. Did you realize that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts all record this, this last call of Jesus to his followers. It is maybe his marching orders. It's what he sends us out with. It's what he has left us here for. It's why you exist if you're in Jesus today. If you put your trust in Christ and you are a disciple or a follower of Jesus, if you are a new creature, this is what God has for you. Open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 28. I need you to turn there and we're going to talk about this great commission. 
And the way I want to start it today, I, I, I really want to challenge you with this idea that you are here to take, to bring people to Jesus. That's why God has you here, to point to him. Your life is meant to fulfill this great commission. It's not to gather up things for you. It's not to build up power or prestige or wealth in this world. It's not to enjoy all that you can consume. That's not why you're here. And some of us have tried those ladders. Some of us have climbed those ladders that the world says, this is what matters. This is what matters. And we've tried those things and got to the top and realized it's leaning on the wrong wall. Maybe you're there. Maybe you've given that a go. Maybe we could have you come up here and talk about the emptiness of that pursuit. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a new creature, if the Spirit of God lives in you, the Great Commission is your call. And His Spirit that's, that resides in you will take His Word today and will make it come alive and call you to respond. Now, to help us remember the Great Commission, I want you to use your left hand, okay? So everybody take your left hand, all right, and look at it in your lap, okay? The Great, the great Commission is actually described and listed five different times. Five, once for each one of your fingers, I trust, okay? Five different times. Now watch how this works. Watch. I, I think you'll find this interesting. Watch me up here, okay? It is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. You got that? Walk that with me. Go to the middle finger. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's in all four of the Gospels and the book of Acts. Let me just point out some things to help you remember some things about this great commission. Like, for instance, you just listed out as Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. That's, in reality, the order that Jesus shared the Great Commission. The first time that he shared with his disciples was in, is listed in the Gospel of John. The second time, the Gospel of Mark. The third time, the Gospel of Matthew, Luke, and Acts. This is the way if you remember it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, in order. Chronologically, John, Mark, Matthew, Luke, Acts. And my, my hand will be used for more than that. Follow along with me. I just find this fascinating. First of all, from Jesus' resurrection to his ascension, 40 days passed. Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples after the resurrection. So from thumb to pinky, 40 days went by teaching, challenging, sharing the Great Commission the first two times that we have the Great Commission shared in John and Mark are in the first week. In the first week, he shared twice with them, go into all the world and make disciples. And in the last week, he shared twice as well. And in the middle was the Gospel of Matthew. What's interesting about this is where it happened. The two times in John and Mark, it was near, very near Jerusalem. In the first week right after the resurrection. The last two times were also in Jerusalem, but the middle time in Matthew, up in Galilee. Remember our map of Galilee? Remember our map of Israel? Jerusalem far down south, Galilee up north. We'll see why that happened and how that played into God's plan in a few minutes. When he shared this, the first two times was with 
only the 11 and less than the 11 in reality. The first time in John, Thomas wasn't there, remember? Thomas wasn't there. The second time was the 11. The third time in Matthew and Galilee, over 500 people were there when Jesus shared the Great Commission. However, the last two times in Luke and Acts, it was the 11 and maybe up to 120. You can find that in the book of Acts. And what happened as Jesus shared this is is he unloaded for them and unfolded for them his plan. And this is what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. I'm going to focus on Matthew today, where Jesus gives us the goal. He gives us the goal. But then we're going to walk through this, and you're going to see what's the message of the Great Commission? What's the method of the Great Commission? What's the model for our Great Commission? And what is this mission that God is calling us to. And what's interesting about the way that Jesus did this, and I, I, I need to go quickly here, but I want you to imagine that you are one of the 11 disciples, okay? And G, you're there, in, you've lived in Israel all of your life. We have no record of any of the 11 ever leaving Israel. They go from Galilee to Jerusalem, up and down, up and down, but they didn't go anywhere else. These are just common fishermen. And Jesus tells them that he's gonna use them to reach the world. Can you imagine how their minds were blown with this idea? So over 40 days, Jesus unveiled truth to them about this great commission. He started out in John and just said, you're going to do it the same way I did, okay? The same way I came in the world, you're going to go into the world. And then he progressed it. He progressed it as we go chronologically through how he unfolded the great commission. He told you, you're going to go into all the world. They were like, yeah, right. And when you go into all the world in Matthew, you're going to reach all the nations. And they're thinking, what? All the nations? And then in Luke, you're going to start in Jerusalem, and you're going to spread out from there. Now their minds are blown, till finally in Acts, when he ascends, he says, you'll go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is a grand global plan. This is no small little measly thing that God is doing. This is not something we show up for an hour on Sunday morning and kind of play a game. That's not what this Great Commission is. The Great Commission is this. God loves people. He loves people. And he desires to bring them to himself to experience his glory. But man is lost in sin, broken by sin. Oh, not everybody commits the same level of sin. I know that. Some are worse than others. We saw that this week. I understand that. But even the most righteous person you can think of, their most righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. So in love for a lost human being creation, God places us spattered among, scattered among people. Little new creatures. That's what we are. Little new creatures. Little Christ planted all over the world. And he says, now you go as I did. Now you go 
Follow my model. Now you go to all the nations. Now you go and preach this message. Now you go to the ends of the earth. Man, this is something that you and I are longing for. You're longing for this. You are longing for an adventure worth dying for. Have you grown so old or so tired that that's no longer true of you? Have you you just brought the veils over your eyes so deep that all you can see is your feet? Or are you truly desirous in your new heart to join an adventure of what Jesus is doing? You're not too young. You're not too old. You're you're not disqualified. Nope. Your speech is fine. Your ability is, is, it's okay. You're all right. Your education level is enough. Where you are is exactly who you need to be for God to use in this way. Let's start with the one where there were the most spectators. The only time it was in Galilee where Jesus shares his goal. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to start at verse number 16. I think I have 18 to 20 up on the screen. You can follow along with me. Now the 11 disciples, Judas is dead, okay? The 11 disciples went to Galilee. They'd been in Jerusalem. They'd been in Jerusalem, remember? That's where Jesus was crucified. Now they're in Galilee, about 70 miles north. Back to their hometown. Eleven of the disciples were from Galilee. Only one was from the Jerusalem area, and he's dead. Hmm. So the eleven go back to Galilee. Tells us why. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus had told them, go to this mountain. We don't know what mountain it is. Okay? I have a guess, but it doesn't really matter. But you go to this mountain in Galilee. Okay? And when they saw him, he's, folks, he's already been crucified. He's resurrected. We know it's more than eight days from his resurrection. We know that because Mark's version or Mark's recording of the Great Commission was eight days after the resurrection. And this is after that one. So it's more than eight days. But Jesus has been killed and resurrected. They saw him and they worshiped him. But some doubted. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that there were over 500 witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. The only one of the five sort of recordings, I guess we'll say, of the Great Commission, the only one that could happen where 500 witnesses would be there is this one. It's outside. It's on a mountain. Jesus had told them he was coming to that mountain. I believe the disciples went around and said, hey, you need to be here. Jesus is going to be there. And they pointed people to where he would be. Some worshipped, some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... 
I am with you always to the end of the age. There are so many things that we could focus on here, but what I really want to start with today is, is really the goal of this passage and the goal of the, of the Great Commission, and, and that goal is, is directed towards disciples. Notice it says in verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee where Jesus had directed them. We need to talk about what this disciple is. Now, we've heard of the 12 disciples, and we think that, well, that's, you know, John and Peter and James and all those guys, okay? But that's not, that's really not what their title was. The official title of those 12 is actually an apostle. They were disciples, and they were also apostles. But not all disciples were apostles. You can be a disciple right now. If you're in Christ today, you are a disciple. If you put your trust in Jesus, the Bible calls you a disciple. It's not something you add on later. You don't decide to sign up for a class on Sunday morning and then become a disciple. Uh Uh-uh. When Jesus' spirit comes and lives in you, you are then a disciple. So you need to read what the scriptures say about a disciple. Because if it's not describing you, we'll stop there for now. So these 11 disciples are there. What is a disciple? This passage will help us to understand that a little bit. So let's, let's see it. First of all, in verse number 16, I want you to notice that these, these disciples, they follow what Jesus calls them to. He says, go to this mountain and the there. The there. Listen, that's the first kind of trait that we will see in this passage and the rest of the New Testament of a disciple of Jesus. They are followers. That's what we are. When Jesus speaks, he is my Lord, and I do what he tells me to do. I don't have to to question. I don't have to wonder. I I don't have to say, what about this or what about that? When he leads, I follow. It's what a disciple is. The very first thing we see from this passage is Jesus said he directed them. That's a strong word. It's not suggested. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to show up there. If you can be there, that'd be cool. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll meet up. That's not what he said. He said, you'll be there. And they were. That's a disciple, folks. Are you characterized by obedience to Christ? That's the question. Are you characterized by this availability to Christ that you follow as he directs? The second thing, look at verse number 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. That's what a disciple does. Disciples of Jesus worship. Now that doesn't mean necessarily that they broke out in song. They didn't go, hey, Steve, Ryan, come up here, play us a song so we can sing. Now they might have done that, okay, But it says that they worshipped him. Here's what this means. It means that they gave. Worship is a giving thing. They gave him his worth. Is what it means. Worship comes from the word worth in Latin. It is connected to worth. So they gave Jesus his worth. But not all. Some doubted. So let's understand what this means. You can be around Jesus. I mean, think about what, if you put this together in your mind, there are hundreds of people there 
who just before this, the word is out. This man had been crucified. And they see him there. And some doubt. They doubt. Listen, doubt can be a willful decision. Check out John chapter 7 sometime. You can write that down and look at it. Jesus says, they do not believe because their acts are evil and they do not desire to turn from them. So you know what they do? They doubt. If there is a God and his name is Jesus and he resurrected from the grave and he says that my sin tendency, the things that I do are wrong, I have a decision. Will I submit to his authority and agree with him? Or will I say, no. Some doubted, but not the 11. They submitted to his authority. And then Jesus says to them, verse number, verse number 18, and this is really kind of the meat of where we're headed. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So we need to talk about what a disciple is because he's calling us now to make them. He's calling us to make disciples. He's not calling us to be disciples. The Great Commission is not for you to be a disciple. The Great Commission is for you to make disciples. Do you get that? Jesus, if, if Jesus' desire was for you just to become a really good disciple, he'd take you to heaven. His desire, his call, his commission is that we make disciples. So what's a disciple? Well, here's a definition. I, I worked on this, and this is, this is my definition, okay? Here's a disciple. It's a believer who is committed to living their master's teaching. That's what a disciple is. They believe on him, and they are committed. They're committed now to living out their master's teaching. And today, it's the Great Commission. So I question, are we disciples? I didn't say, do you not want to go to hell? That's not what I said. I said, are we disciples? See, this is, this is a little different than a fan. It's a little, it's a little different than a pupil. It's, it's, we, the closest word we may have to it would be that of an apprentice. But even that isn't enough. This is a person who has gotten close to Jesus in our context today and realized who he is. And now they are committed. Come what may. Follow his call. Now, we need to know what that call is. And I want you to look at verse number 19. And I want us to be careful. Okay? Look at 19 with me. It says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, I, I need to try to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. Okay? In reality, the main verb in verse number 19. Now, I know this is a little bit, okay, we're getting a little thick here, okay? But just stay with me. I promise you, I'm going to help you with this, all right? 
The main verb many people misunderstand. Let me read it again. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Many people believe that the main verb here is the going part. And so often people will use verse 19 and 20 at missions conferences, and we're supposed to go to wherever, Timbuktu or Papua New Guinea or whatever. But in reality, that is not what this passage is saying. Let me help you with this. The imperative, that means the word that tells us to do something, is to make disciples. So it's almost like you walk into your house, men, and there on your table, your wife has taken an index card and she wrote one word on it. Buy. And that's all she wrote. Buy. You pick it up, you hear her voice. Bye. You're like, okay, I'll go buy something, right? So I'll run out the door and, and I'll buy something. Maybe I'll buy like a new gun or a new set of golf clubs or whatever. But is that how it would work? No, that's, I mean, if your wife does that or if your husband does that, they, they got they got a real communication problem, okay? We need some pastoral counseling, all right? So, so what might they say? Well, maybe they would say, buy eggs. Buy eggs. Well, now that helps. That helps, okay? Now, I know at least what I'm supposed to buy, but how many? Where from? What kind? Chicken eggs? Turkey eggs? Ostrich eggs? What do you want? What kind of eggs you want, honey? Right? Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. The main imperative here is the making of disciples. So what's the rest of all these words? Well, what if she said, when you go to Walmart, buy eggs. Does that help? Oh, okay, all right, I'm getting it. Now, I'm going to Walmart today, and she wants me to pick up some eggs. Okay, I'm getting it now. But I want, what she want me to spend, and what kind of eggs, and how many eggs? So, thankfully, my wife wrote this down. When you go to Walmart, I guess I'm like a child, you know, right? But when you go to Walmart, buy a dozen eggs with the debit card. Okay. Yes. Now, here's why I'm saying all this. Silly example, but I think this will help you. Look at verse 19. The main imperative, the main point so we make disciples. In reality, go there. The, the word actually means, it assumes, it's, it's an assumed meaning that you're already going. The passage literally says, when you're going, he's, he's talking to his disciples. He says, when you're going, and it actually even is more than that. It's more when you're going on your way, when you're doing what you do, when you're living your life. Not when you go to the mission field, not for a week when you go on a short-term missions trip, not when you teach Sunday school down the hallway, not when you listen to some little kid at you know, some soccer game on one particular day. It's when you live your life. The word go here is just an assumed part of your life that I'm going. I'm walking around all the time. I'm living my life. But I'm not doing what God's calling me. I haven't bought the egg yet. I haven't bought the egg. Buying the eggs is the making of disciples. Not being a disciple, but making of disciples. 
If you are not, listen, I'll just be cut right to the chase. If you're a follower of Christ and you are not engaged in the development of other believers, that they would also be making disciples and reflecting Christ. If that is not true of you, you are one of two things. You are either not a disciple or you are a disciple walking in disobedience to this command. Every single one of us in Christ, as we're going, that's literally what this means, as you go, make disciples. Make disciples. Now, what follows is a series of participle phrases, okay? You say, what on earth is a participle phrase? It's actually a modifying participle phrase. There, does that help? help? Okay. I'll give you an example of a modifying participle phrase. You want to see one? Here it is. With the debit card. With the debit card is a modifying participle phrase in Greek. What's that mean? It's describing how I'm to buy eggs. It's helping me understand how my egg purchase should go. I should buy a dozen, and I should use the debit card. Look back to Matthew 19. I'm sorry, 28, verse 19. Go. As you're going, make disciples. And now it's going to be modified. All nations. All nations. Every single nation on the earth. This word nation... It literally has to do with language spoken. It's what it actually is. But the point is, it is every, every creature on earth we're called now to make disciples with every creature on earth. And it's modified more. It says that we are to be baptizing them. Baptizing them. Now what is baptism? Baptism is an outward sign of an inward decision. It's, it's, my, it's the first fruit of obedience. It's the first fruit of obedience. It's the first thing that a follower does. The first thing a disciple does is he's baptized or she is baptized. And what it is, it's, it's showing that my relationship with Christ is not just something that I've got head knowledge about. It's not just something that I think about. It's not just I don't want to go to hell. It's saying to everybody, I am marked with Christ. You see Christ, you see me. This is what baptism represents. Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. And baptism is the first opportunity for us to do that. And it is part of this disciple making, is this baptism. How are we to do it? Baptizing. Baptism never saved anybody, but it's our first fruit of obedience. It says, I am marked with Christ. I am his. So I'm baptized. Did you know that in many cultures today, you can claim Jesus. You can say, I'm a follower of Christ. I put my trust in Jesus. This is especially true in Islamic countries. You can say you're a follower of Christ, but the day you get baptized, 
you better go in hiding because you're going to lose your life. You know, there are people, maybe in this room, you say you're a follower of Christ. Listen, I'm telling you, on Jesus' word here, he's calling you. He's calling you to obey him and to say, mark me as Jesus. Mark me as his. You may say, well, I don't understand baptism. I mean, what's the deal with that? All authority has been given to him, not to you. God didn't give you authority. He didn't say, hey, what do you think? How should you mark yourself as a follower of Christ? He didn't say that. He said, be baptized. I am marked as a follower of Christ. And then secondly, this other part of what's actually the third. We got the all nations. We got baptizing. And the third modifying participle phrase is teaching them to observe. This is, all, this is what we are to do. We are to go to all peoples. We are to mark them, baptize them, mark them as followers of Christ, and teach them what Jesus called them to obey. And I just got to say, for lack of time, Jesus is calling us to obey this command. So I just want to challenge you. I, I love this church and I love these people that are here. But I love God more. And God calls us, Jesus is calling us to invest our lives here in his commission. This isn't me. This isn't Lowell. I didn't put Lowell 28, 19 to 20 on the wall. I put Jesus' words. And he calls us, you and me, to invest our lives in making disciples. Seek it out. Say, well, I don't know where to do this. I don't know know where to live this out. I, I don't know how to make this happen. I don't believe that for a second. I think that's an excuse. You want to make disciples? You want to invest your life? You ask Jesus for that opportunity. And I assure you on God's authority that his spirit will answer. He will provide. The question is, will we obey? Let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, for your word, for the reality of it, Lord, that you are desirous to see all nations worshiping you. God, you've always been a lover of people. You made us. You love us. Lord, and you died for broken people like the ones we know and love. Father, I pray for anyone here today that maybe is being challenged in their heart with how they're investing in their life. Lord, would you use, use your word, let your spirit reign, challenge our hearts to cut off what needs cut off. Lord, to say no to the world and to say yes to your spirit and to invest in what you've left us with. Go. And as you're going, make disciples. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.